Welcome. You're listening to audio from Haddington Elam Church. We hope that you're encouraged and challenged by this week's message. We're going to look at the visit of the wise men. It said if there had been three wise women, it says they would have asked directions. They would have arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, brought practical gifts, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and there would be peace on earth. So I thought that was really funny. We know there's quite a difference between men and women, but I found that very, very funny. And there was a Christian comedian that I really enjoy, and he was talking about that some of those things that they even brought weren't practical. You know, no nappies, maybe some wipes, maybe some of those kind of things would have been much more practical than what they brought. But so last week we looked and talked about John the Baptist and how he began to prepare the way and that there's that proceeding before Jesus comes on the scene. We have the Old Testament closing without a word from God for 400 years. So think about that's a long span without a word from God of waiting. Now, I don't know if many of you are very patient. I don't know if as you age, if you get more and more patient. I don't know. Tomorrow I'm turning 50 and I am thinking that maybe there's some things I could have learned along the way. I want to know this. At what age? You know, when I was growing up, there would be in the neighborhood, there would always be like the old guy who just said whatever, get off my lawn. And he was like, at what age do you get when you just can say anything? And you're just, oh, that's just that, that old guy. I, I, just, I don't know. I'm hoping to get there soon. Because I noticed with elderly people, just they don't give a rip. They just say whatever. So I'm like, what age is that? So I, I, I don't know. I, but the New Testament opens with, of all things, a genealogy. Now, that may be strange. Does anybody enjoy studying genealogies? It's something I don't quite enjoy. But it's showing the connection between Jesus, the Messiah, and Abraham. And this genealogy is vitally important. See, for anyone claiming to be the son of David, let alone royalty, they better be able to back up that claim with proof. And I don't know if you guys remember a couple of years ago, there was a man that came forward, I don't know his name, but he claimed that he could prove that he was the king over all of England, Australia, like all of these nations and things. Well, anyone can make a claim, but you have to back it up with proof. There were others who could trace their lineage back to David. There were some who could trace their family tree. And remember, they've had a couple of times Israel went into captivity and some of those records were lost. But they were able to trace those things. So some could trace their lineage back to David. And that's why also here is the divine heredity is included. Matthew, in his account, gives the lineage through Joseph, where Luke does it through Mary's. So they're showing that either parent would have been able to prove that, giving everything needed to prove that he was this person linked to Abraham. God ruled and overruled all history to ensure the birth of his son and to accomplish his divine will. It's interesting to note that in this genealogy, there are four women's names included. And usually in those times, it always went by the father. Bill begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. But here's four women that are included. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Women were included. But this baby that is 
being born is unlike any other that has ever been born. Joseph didn't beget Jesus. He came through an earthly mother, but was born of the Holy Spirit. And that's something that for years people have tried to disprove. And they've tried to find a way because that is the important matter, is that he has the Holy Spirit doing this miracle. So the Old Testament gave this criteria. So for this person to tick all the boxes, this was the criteria. The Messiah would be born of a woman, of the seed of Abraham, through the tribe of Judah, and from the family of David. Jesus is the only one who can prove his divinity and heredity. And then it moves on to the birth of Jesus, which was prophesied some 700 years by Isaiah. Mary's son was called Jesus the Christ. It was the name that was associated with him. Normally, children in those days were named after their father, firstborn son. But his name was Jesus. And in the Hebrew, it was Yeshua. Jesus was the Greek form of Joshua, Yeshua. Jehovah is salvation. There were many boys called Jesus at that time, but not any referenced as the Christ. In fact, we've done mission in Spanish countries, and there's a bunch of Jesus that we meet all around. But he is known as Jesus, the Christ. Christ means anointed and is the Greek equivalent of Messiah. Remember, the New Testament was written in Greek. He is Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is his human name. Christ is his official title. And it says he's Emmanuel, and it describes who he is, God with us. We're going to be looking today at the visit of the Magi. We're going to begin, if you have your Bible or your phone, your tablet, or however you want to follow along, it's going to be on the screen as well, Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. The star appeared miraculously by God to announce the birth of a king. Does anybody do any kind of stargazing, the telescope, or look into stars? I know they have different programs and things. There's, my brother used to have a telescope that had like a laser pointer and it could tell him kind of what hemisphere and things he was in. But this star appeared miraculously to announce the birth of a king. These are scholars from the East, more likely astrologers, who noticed something different in a star, enough so to travel many miles over many months to see what it meant. Something in this star said to them, this is significant, take note of this. It also led them to Jerusalem, where the prophets had said Messiah would be born. So they went there to Jerusalem, hoping to find answers. And they thought that the people and leaders of this city would even be more interested than they were, and maybe help point them in the right direction. They traveled a great distance to honor a king. And there's a bit of irony in this statement. For them to go honor a king was one thing, but a king of the Jews? See, at that time in history, the Jewish people were despised by the others around them because they had strange customs and belief. They didn't just get on to carry on. They had specific beliefs that they could not do. They were often thought of as a low 
troublesome and conquered people, it was remarkable that they would trouble themselves to honor an infant king, but a king of the Jews. So this has some prophetic thing behind it, that they recognize something in this star. And it's not just like every night. Something is different, and enough so that it makes them go to see what it meant. Continuing verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. This is absolutely fascinating. What a question. Another ordinary day to them. And there's this group of people asking, where's been born the king of the Jews? A large caravan of people have arrived to greet this newly born king of the Jews. Now think of it. The people have been waiting 400 years and a group from the east comes and they're the only ones that recognize that this is the season, this is now, this is here. They studied the stars and the heavens and were astute enough that something very significant had happened in this star. There's a program called Stellarium and it's astronomy software. And someone was telling us that you can backdate the stars in this program. And some scientists were trying to see what potentially the heavens could have looked like around four to six or so BC. Absolutely amazing. And they're looking at the potential of what could this star have looked like or what would it have been that would have uh, announced to them that something had happened. God guided astronomers by a star. Find that amazing. God uses different ways and different tools, and he speaks to us in different ways. Remember, Jesus spoke to shepherds about sheep, talked to farmers about seed, and here he's using a star to guide astrologers. This was also a fulfillment of Numbers 24, 17. It says, a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. This was widely regarded by ancient Jewish scholars as a messianic prediction. So the Jewish scholars should have taken notice when these guys said, we saw a star. Something announced a, a, the birth of a king and it was a star. It is a strange thing for a baby to be born a king. Think of history here. Usually they're a prince and then at some point you are crowned king. D.A. Carson says this, his kingly status was not conferred on him later on. It was from birth. He was born king, king of the Jews and king of all kings. Verse three, when Herod heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Because there are three gifts mentioned, many people think there were three wise men. Some even say in ancient texts they named them. But there must have been many that have come because they've caused an uproar to the whole city. If three men had come, maybe they could have gone into Herod's court and nobody would have known what they were doing there. But if it's a large caravan and it's camels and they're stopping and needing a place to stay for 50 people, it caused an uproar. It also was troubling news for Herod because he deemed himself king. And they're announcing that a king has been born. A king meant the possibility of the iron fist of Rome being thrown off. Remember, the Israelites thought that the Messiah would come and overthrow Rome and set them free. It meant that their occupation could come to an end. And it also then would mean a rival to Caesar. 
This was troubling news. Herod was constantly on guard against threats to his rule, especially from his own family. He was one of those kind of people that if he thought someone was plotting on him, he just had them killed. His own family, it didn't matter. And I think history says he was married nine times, but he assassinated family members, whoever he suspected of disloyalty. So he was not a nice guy. Verse four, and gathering together. So Herod gathers together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this what is, was written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For from you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod and the wise men needed scriptural insight, they knew who to turn to. And they gathered the priests and the scribes. And they were quick. It didn't even seem like time passed. And they knew this is the place where he was to be born. And this is where it shows. And they go right to the scripture and says it's Bethlehem. That's where he's to be. They knew where he was to be born. But there's no record of any of them going to see if that was the case. They understood biblical information correctly but failed to apply it to their lives. Think about that for a moment. Sometimes we read the scriptures. Sometimes people ask us, oh, you know, where does it say in the Bible about hope? Or what does it say about salvation? And we could point them. They understood the information, but failed to apply it in their own lives. John Trapp says this, had they met with the shepherds in Bethlehem, who the angels announced to, they had received better intelligence than they could have learned from all the learned scribes of Jerusalem because the announcement was made to the shepherds out in the field. Verse seven, and Herod secretly called for the Magi and determined from them the exact time that the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. So it says he's, maybe all the scribes and leaders and he, Herod told them all to leave, but he told the wise men and he says to them secretly, tell me where he is and I want to worship him. It's not true what he wanted to do. He was wicked and evil and he had no intention of worshiping Jesus. He actually wanted this title as king of the Jews because he himself was a descendant of Esau. And although not a full-blooded blooded Jew, it was no surprise that he would have children and babies killed as they already knew him as a murderer. Herod made it like he had a desire to worship Jesus when he really wanted to kill him. His motive was evil with evil intent. Sometimes people make it like they want to worship with you. They're not with you. Verse nine, after hearing the king, they went their way and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went on ahead of them until it came to a stop over the place where the child was to be found. This star, which had appeared to them and had them set out on their journey, must not have always been visible because as they approached Bethlehem, the star appeared again to their utter delight, leading them right to where Jesus was. The star appeared specifically to guide them. 
This was obviously a supernatural phenomenon. I don't know about you, but I have not looked in the night sky and seen a star that I've wanted to follow and to see where it's taking me. Maybe in a spaceship or something like that is different. But these guys, as they went, the star appeared again. Sometimes we need or may need to keep pressing onward, even if all the information isn't always available. See, we need to take the step that God told us to, st to take and either need to stand or to be moving forward until God gives us the next step and the next piece. So these guys didn't just stop and stay in Jerusalem. It says the star appeared to them again, which sent them on their journey. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. God didn't leave them in Jerusalem after these many months, maybe a year, who knows how long this journey was. It says they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And after they came to the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, they fell down and worshiped him. Some theologians believe that about two years had passed and so when you see the nativity scene and it has the cow and the sheep and the baby in the manger and, and the wise men, it wouldn't have been. Two years approximately had passed because it says that they were in a house when they arrived and not a barn or a manger. Also, when Herod deduces the ages that the wise men had said, he killed all the children two years and under, taking that as the age that the child would have been. It says, and then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And after being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Absolutely fascinating. It was common, especially in the East, that no one would ever appear before royalty or a VIP without bringing gifts. Considering who these wise men believed that the child was, it is not surprising that they gave such expensive gifts. And note that these gifts were presented to this baby Jesus, not to Mary or to Joseph, but they were given to Jesus himself. More important than their arrival and the gifts that they brought is the fact that they worshiped Jesus, that when they found the place their first act was falling down in worship. It must have been a curious sight to see these impressive dignitaries. I'm sure they were probably dressed in all the royal robes and all the, the whole pomp and circumstance that went with it, bowing down to a young child. It says that Mary pondered all these things in her heart. Those of us with children, let me ask you, when your baby is being born, whether at home or hospital, what would you... Think if a large entourage of dignitaries came to hospital to look into the little nursery to see your baby. What if they bowed down and worshiped them? Have any of you had that happen? Think, think about this for a moment. They're having this little baby and these men come, a huge group from the East, very foreign, and they're coming saying, we want to worship the king of the Jews that's born. Think about that for a minute. What would you think? What would you think if you get a knock at your door and you're just now changing the nappy and you're just getting the baby down for his nap or her nap and there's this huge group of people that want to see your child and have traveled a great distance 
Get it realistically sometimes. In this story here, gold represents kings and royalty. Christ is the king of all kings. Frankincense was greatly valued throughout the Middle East. It was very expensive and had a wonderful fragrance that they made it from tree resin. It was used primarily for making incense and as an ingredient in sacrifices and an ingredient in perfume. Since frankincense was primarily used in worship with the incenses being burned, it speaks of the worship of God. So he's the king with gold and royalty. He is also the anointed one who deserves our worship. And myrrh, it was highly valuable, although not as expensive as frankincense. It speaks of death and was used for burial. Since gold, frankincense, and myrrh were highly prized by kings, emperors, and nobility, these magi gave Jesus three very expensive gifts. And we don't know, but these gifts may have been used as Joseph and Mary had to flee to Egypt and live there for a number of years before God brought them back. So they could have been used for that, those purposes. The magi were seeking the king. Herod was opposing the king. And the religious leaders ignored the king. We could learn something from the wisdom of these wise men. They were not satisfied with just looking at the star and admiring it. They did something about it. They set out and followed it. Sometimes we may think that God's told us to do something, or we may hope that God tells us to do something, but sometimes when God tells us to do something, we need to do it. We need to set out and do it and take the risk and take the step of faith. These guys didn't just stay and look at that. And maybe, like I said, they said maybe one of their names was Malchus. They weren't like, Malchus, look at that amazing star. Let's just admire it for a while. They were like, that means something. Let's do something about it. And they went on this journey and they followed it. They persevered in their search following the star. There might have been some hiccups along the way. Maybe their camel got a, a flat hoof. <laughs> you know, maybe something happened along the way as all things do. But they persevered all the way. They were not discouraged in their journey by clergy and doubtful religious leaders, nor the lack of excitement that they saw in others. So they get to Jerusalem and there's all this hubaloo, but nobody really wanted to go with them and nobody really cared. That didn't make them want to stop. They persevered. They rejoiced at the star and what it represented. When they arrived at the place that the star led them to, they entered in, and when they entered in, they worshiped. I think of that, how when the disciples ran to the tomb, one just got as far and saw the stone rolled away, but the other one went in. Friends, I'm sure in your uh, journeys in church lives, you see people who enter in, and some who just are okay to stand at the door. You know, some just want to dip a toe into things of God. Some go full cannonball. They went all in and they worshiped. So it, they were rewarded for taking this step of faith and traveling these many months or a year, who knows. They saw what they came after. They went all the way. And when they saw him, think about this. They recognized who he was and worshiped him. They sensed an urgency to worship him now and not wait until later. 
So they weren't waiting until he's crowned and others recognize him as an infant, as maybe two or under. They worshiped the king and they recognized who he was. And when they worshiped, they didn't come empty handed. They came to give something. When we worship God, we should give him something. We sing in songs about giving him our heart. We should be open-handed before God, just freely giving him our lives. There are three different responses in this to Jesus. And we may say that all people respond in one of three ways. Herod showed open hatred and hostility toward Jesus from the moment he was born. And maybe you've encountered people who are just, I would say they're hostile to the gospel. They don't wanna hear anything that you have to say. They want to shout down if you even try to tell them anything. Herod showed open hatred and hostility. The chief priests and scribes were indifferent, all the while retaining their religious respectability. Friends, in life we meet people who are indifferent. They don't know. Maybe they say they're agnostic. I don't know if I'm for or against. I don't know. But wise men sought out Jesus and worshipped him even at a great personal cost. Of the ones that are described, who do you think rejoiced that night? We don't know that the scribes and Pharisees seemed too excited about this news. And they were the ones who knew more than anyone. Doesn't seem that they were excited. Herod certainly wasn't excited. But we have these men that traveled from the east who got to see the king of all kings, and maybe got to hold him, and maybe got to rock him back to sleep. They rejoiced, those who sought him and worshiped him. We know it says of our Lord, he was despised and rejected by his own people. But this story says that men traveled from the east to worship him. Someone has said, maybe you've heard it recently, wise men still seek him. And I would include wise women. Wise people still seek him. Even with the prophecies and scriptures, many missed the visitation of our Lord and King. The religious leaders knew the scriptures better than anyone, yet failed to see or recognize the King. And I just would end with this. May you have a fresh revelation as you're going through the Christmas things over the next few weeks. May it just be a fresh revelation. And where you find yourself, are you indifferent? Hopefully you're not hostile, but let us celebrate our Savior who's come. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week for another inspirational message. If you're in the East Lothian area, visit us online at haddingtonelamchurch.com for information about how you can join us for our weekly Sunday services.